Hello, good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to Three Blokes and a Rugby League podcast. Myself and Jed Amos Goddard are joined by one of the most effective players in Super League for the Catalan Dragons, Joss Drinkwater. Welcome to the broadcast, mate. How are you doing? Hey, guys. Hey, good to be again. Really good. Excellent. We were just talking off the podcast, mate. Obviously, over Christmas and New Year, you went over back back home, back to Sydney in Australia, mate. Tell tell everyone and, and make everyone a bit jealous of, of what life's like over there at the minute. Yeah, it's good, mate. Uh, I, got, I got real lucky getting a flight back there. That was the first thing. And then just going back to a normal life, being able to go to a cafe, um, going to the pub on a Friday Arvo for a beer with your mates. It's, um, you forget how good life it was before COVID. So um, it was tough getting on the plane to come back, knowing that, you know, France is still in a bit of a lockdown. But um, you know, hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, mate. I mean, you'd like to think so. How's, how's pre-season been going for you boys? Yeah, look, we've only sort of been back together for a few weeks. Um, the way it works in France, we had to go on, they call it the chômage, which is uh, equivalent to the furlough over in England. So uh, we didn't get that last year. So it obviously cost the club a lot of money. Um, you know, obviously we weren't getting games. So um, the club decided to make that uh, decision um, in pre-season that we would sort of wouldn't be able to train as a team. So um, we've only been back together for about three weeks now. Um, so it hasn't been... A long pre-season. Obviously, we're doing stuff on our own. Um, you know, the trainer was sending stuff out and things like that. But in terms of training as a team, we've sort of only been back for a few weeks. So, we're probably a little bit behind everyone else. There's no doubt about that. Um, we had a trial on the weekend against Toulouse and we are pretty clunky. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll be ready for round one. There'll be no excuses. The new boys settling in well? Yeah, they have, mate. Yep. Um we haven't got too many new signings. Dean Vare is here now, so he uh, out of quarantine and isolation. So he was at his first day today. Um, off the top of my head, I don't even know what other new signings we have. You got Gil Dustin? Oh, Gil. Gil's settling really well, yep. Um, obviously, he knows a lot of the English boys already, so he's settling great. Um, I'm a bit of a sort. Mikey, same thing. Mikey's been good. So all those boys are settling well. They know a lot of English boys all know each other anyway. So, um, you know, it wasn't too big of a move for them. And, um, you know, they're, they're all sweet. So, I mean, 15th of June, 1992, you were, you were born and raised in Sydney, I believe. You know, quite a, quite a rugby league mad household, I'd imagine, with, with your brother as well. But what was it like growing up in a rugby league mad? Yeah, it was, mate. Um you know, my old man, he didn't play first grade, but he played uh, rugby league out of Penrith. And then, so I grew, grew up, out, I was out Penrith till I was about six or seven, and I moved to the Central Coast. Um, but yeah, everything was rugby league. So my old brother played rugby league as well. So, um, you know, from, from what I can, re- I can remember, it was pretty much rugby league every Saturday. And, um, you know, during the summer, it was touch footy, which is sort of the same. So, yeah, it's been rugby league my whole life and um, it still is. Who were, who were your heroes growing up, mate? Who did you keep an eye on? Uh, probably Andrew Johns growing up. Um, you know, those types of players. Darren Lockyer. Um, but I just, I loved it. I loved every position, to be honest. I remember there was a Broncos team, you know, when they had, you know, Sailor, Takiri, Lockyer, all those players. I remember watching them. And, um, you know, I was, grew up supporting Penrith being from out there and you know, Craig Gower and, uh, Ryan Gerdler, I used to love Ryan Gerdler. I, copied, I remember copying his goal-kicking technique at a young age. So, yeah, I, I just love footy ever since I you know, started watching it. So, it's um, I've always followed it and just sort of looked up to all the players, really. Awesome stuff, mate. Well, where, where did you play junior rugby? I uh, played for the Terrible Sharks. So, um, we've had a couple of good play, uh, first-grade players there. Glenn Morrison, um, he played for the Terrible Sharks there. Um Tim Moulton played the Tigers. He's a terrible Sharks boy, and uh, me and my brother as well. So, um, yeah, it's a good, it's a good spot. Obviously, it's a beautiful place to live on the Central Coast, and um, yeah, it was a good club to play for. What was it like coming through the ranks there? Were any of these guys in your kind of age group, or were you, were you kind of in, in, in yours? Nah, uh, Tim was a bit older. Moulton is a few years older than me. Uh, my dad coached him. Um, when he was around 16, and then obviously Glenn's a few years older than me. I went to school with Glenn Morrison, Jungle Brother, so um, I've got a bit of a relationship with him there. But 
In terms of my age group, um, I, I played against Braden Williami all my juniors. He was at another team um, growing up. So um, that's off the top of my head, all I can really remember off the top. But it, it's a pretty strong compliment the Central Coast. And obviously, there's no NRL team there. So a lot of players sort of get picked up, you know, 15, 16, either go to Manly or Newcastle or one of the Sydney teams. Um, so. You know, it's a shame that Central Coast doesn't have an NRL team because there are so many good players that come through the system there and um, they lose a lot of the juniors at an early age. Well, as you mentioned, a lot of players seem to go to Manly and that were true for yourself, mate. In 2010, you were signed by the CE Eagles. And how did that actually come about? It was a bit of a strange run, really. Um, I was playing SG Ball, which is under 18s, full of Central Coast, all with the Storm at that stage. And um, we played mainly one game. And the week after, I got dropped after playing Manly. And then the recruitment officer from Manly rang my agent and said, well, why is he being dropped? Is he injured? He said, no, he's just not playing. And he said, look, we thought he played well against us last week. Does he want to come down to us? And so it just sort of happened from there pretty quick. Um, there was a few boys from the Central, Central Coast already at Manly as well. So it was sort of a bit of a feeding ground for them. Um, but yeah, I love, I love my time at Manly. And I didn't really want to leave, to be honest. I played 20s there, tied a cup. And at that stage, it was um, Cherry Evans and Kieran Forum were the halves, and they are back now. But they're only a few years older than me. And I spoke to the club, and they just said, "Look, your pathway's blocked here. You know, we got Cherry and Kieran. We want to keep them long term." So I knew I had to look elsewhere. But um, yeah, I, I loved my time at Manly. I really did, and uh, yeah, I didn't want to leave. Just before, obviously, we do touch on what when you when you moved elsewhere, as you said, you played there from from 2010 to 2012, and in, in that 2012 season. Um, you're the top point scoring in the under-20s competition for Manly and I'm not sure if it might have been overall 137 points 10 tries 40 goals and a field goal I mean even though that you said that your pathway was blocked at Manly you must have been pretty confident that you had enough about you to make it in the NRL or at least get a contract somewhere else Yeah I guess sort of back in those days it was pretty cutthroat if you sort of didn't make it by you know, the end of under-20s reserve grade was sort of out of sight out of mind like it wasn't a real strong comp so um, you know, I, I sort of threw all my eggs in one basket. You know, I moved from the Central Coast to Manly and I was working down there, but it was all about rugby league and I wanted to make it. So, um, you know, yeah, as I said, I, I was lucky enough. I got picked up by the Dragons uh, at the end of that year. But, um, yeah, back in those days, it was it was really cutthroat. You know, if you weren't, didn't, weren't signed to a first-grade contract after the end of 20s, it was pretty much out the back door. How did you deal with with that pressure then, and, and you know the, the the fear of rejection, and then obviously getting the rejection from a first grade team? It must be really tough at a young age. Yeah, it's, it's just sort of you knew what it was going to be. So you know, we we didn't have a good team. That was ever hard thing. You know, we weren't a strong team that under twenties comp, but I just knew that I just had to play good footy, and um, you know, some that I've always sort of thrived is I, I love the pressure. I just love that pressure situation and, you know, playing in meaningful, meaningful games. And in that, in a weird way, every game was meaningful, not so much to, you know, win the comp because we knew that we weren't going to win the comp and we weren't a strong team. But, um, you know, for myself, I wanted to get picked up on a first-grade contract and try and make that next step. So, yeah, look, it was tough, but, you know, we had a great bunch of boys and it was it was a great time. You know, Manly's a beautiful place to live. Um, and I had yeah, some of my best years you know, off the field there, so it was a good, good place to be. <laughs> Did you get many injuries as, as a young bloke? I know we spoke to Aidan Season quite recently as well, and he mentioned he got a really bad ACL injury in his early days. Did you get much injury as a young bloke? No, it's a, no, I haven't been too bad. No, um, nothing too serious. You know, I've had the sort of like what every football has is you know shoulder injuries and things like that. But I've never had any ACLs or um, anything too serious like that. So I've been pretty lucky injury wise in my career. Um, yeah, touch wood, it keeps it stays that way as well. Yeah, we'll keep both keepers' fingers crossed for you, mate. As you mentioned, you signed for the St George Illawarra Dragons, um, and the St George were, were were. I mean, it's easy to say they were a club on the slide at the time. Just missed the playoffs, finishing ninth. We're only winning the comp two seasons prior. As you mentioned, you'd been told that your pathway was blocked at Manly. Were you being brought into St George saying there's there's an opportunity for you here, like we need someone to come in? What sort of was sold to you to, to come to the club? It was a strange one because at the time, um, Steve Price was coach, is at Warrington now, and Ben Hornby hadn't retired yet, I don't think so. The sort of plan was for Ben Hornby to go around again and then me to come in and learn for a year 
Uh, just get used to the training in the full-time environment, obviously moving down to Wollongong, which is, you know, a bit further away from home. So, but um, Hornby retired and then um, Kyle Stanley was another half there, but he'd done his ACL really early in the preseason. So it sort of become um, Jamie Soward and Nathan Fien, who was at the back end of his career. And then all sort of that first drop um, ready to come in. But looking back, I was nowhere near ready for first grade or the NRL back then. Like I just wasn't, didn't understand the game enough. Probably my body wasn't ready and um, you know, mature enough that way. So, you know, I did play first grade that year, but, you know, looking back, I definitely wasn't ready. And uh, it's no surprise that I didn't put my best foot forward because just sort of getting used to that whole full-time environment, but understanding what it takes to be an NRL player and little things like that. I just, yeah, I, just, I definitely wasn't ready. So, um, but at the end, of, you know, I wouldn't change it for a while. You know, I got to debut at, at 20 years of age and um, you never know if it's going to come around again. So um, it was just one of those things. Definitely. I mean, even even if you're saying obviously you wasn't ready, it still must have been great to have players like you mentioned, Jamie Sauer, Jason Nightingale, Matt Prayer, Brett Morris. I mean, to, to be coming in through in the ranks at a young age around about them players, what was that experience kind of like? Yeah, it was good. It was. Uh, I didn't know anyone at the club before I went either, so it was, I literally turned up, um, not knowing anyone there. So it was a diff. It was. It was at the t- at the start. It was tough, um, but they were all great blokes. One thing in rugby league is that. Now, you obviously hear a lot about what players are like off the field, but I can honestly say there is every, pretty much every single person you meet as a player are great blokes. And then there's no ego, there's no, um, you know, they think they're better than anyone else. They do anything to help you out. So I was lucky like that. You know, I've had, I've had obviously a few different clubs and, yeah, I've come across that everyone is pretty much a great bloke and happy to do anything for you. Superb stuff and really good to hear because one of the main reasons we started this podcast was to show everybody what the game is really like in, in the heart of it as well. So it's, it's great for you to, to talk about players like that as well. You know, you made your NRL debut in round five of, of that season against Newcastle at home. Of, you know, close to 15,000 fans coming in to watch that game, mate. You know, you won the game 19-16. If, if you do remember anything, what do you do remember? I do remember, I didn't think I was going to play. I, I didn't play for the previous two weeks. I hurt my shoulder um, and I was out. So, and of the first two games in New South Wales Cup, I didn't play good at all. So, to be honest, um, I remember Sowie pulled me inside of training early in the week. Cameron King, I think it was, got injured. So, they didn't really have a hooker on the bench. Um, so, I'd never played hooker either. But he pulled me inside and said, I think you're a chance this week. And I remember I rang Pricey up during early in the week. I said, look, if I'm a chance, I sort of want to know and he said, no, no, you've been out injured for a few couple of weeks, your shoulder, you need to come back for a reserve grade. We wouldn't do that to you. So I was like, okay, sweet. So I remember the Saturday New South Wales Cup, we were playing on the Saturday night. And obviously first grade trained Saturday during the day. The game was on Sunday. So Pricey just said, can you come down and train Saturday? Give us a help with the captain's run with first grade, then jump on the bus and go play reserve grade that night. So I was like, yeah, sweet, no worries. Obviously, that's good. So I remember finishing training and um, Pricey came over me and started sort of talking about the game. And I remember just sort of looking at him saying, am I playing? And he looked at me as if as if I was the idiot and didn't know. And he said, well, you don't want to play? I said, oh, no, no, I want to play, mate. He said, yeah, you're in. So I literally found out 24 hours before I played. So obviously, once I got told that, I rang my parents, my family, and um, the nerves kicked in. So And then obviously on the game day, I was on the bench. I'd never come off the bench before. That was the other thing. So that was strange to come off the bench. It's totally different. Um, and I think Gerard Bill, he was playing fullback at the time. He went down just after half time. And so I remember just straight away, they said, Drinky, let's go, you're on. And Newcastle just scored and I went out there. And I thought I was playing fullback at one stage. I remember how he got me behind the trial line and started talking about defence and getting our numbers right. And I remember saying, am I playing fullback? And he's like, no, 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 you take a moss, but I'll go to fullback, but just make sure you're doing this and that. So um, it was a great, I remember it's it just so fast. The NRL coming from, you know, the under-20s and New South Wales Cup, I just remember how fast it was. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was obviously lucky. We, we won on my parent family. It was, it was a great day and obviously something I'll never forget. How does playing with someone like Jamie Soward compared to, to other blokes you play with, especially someone like James Maloney? Are they, are they similar in some parts and very different in others, or are they, are they just totally different? No, I think so. Every player is pretty different, to be honest. Obviously, Soward at the time was 
Um, he just finished playing Origin, so he was sort of still playing pretty high level footy. Um, someone like James Maloney now, he's obviously, and say, so just doesn't shut up. He just talks so much, but he's he's very smart. He'll probably make a very good coach one day. He's obviously understands a lot about the game. Um, been around forever, had so many different coaches. So, look, again, a lot of halves, you know, everyone's sort of got their similar traits. Everyone understands and um, are smart, but um, yeah. Yeah, honestly, Jimmy doesn't shut up. He just talks so much. Is it on the field or off the field? Oh, both off the field, especially over here in France, because we're learning a different language. So everything he says, he wants to say it twice. So <laughs> him knowing two languages, honestly, he just he just speaks all the time. I remember he was one of Mac's best lines. He said, "He said, Jim." God gave you two ears and one mouth, so you listen twice as much as you speak. Shut up. But he, he just doesn't shut up. Like, you hear people say back home in Australia how much how annoying he is and how much he talks, but until you get to know him, it, he's, he's something else. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. I'm going to use that from now on. Um, you, you made four, four more appearances for the Dragons, mate. What 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 happened for you to leave the club? Was it was it just not working out? Could you not find that, that gap for you to fill in? No, I sort of knew. The writing was on the wall. I didn't play good footy that year. And then yeah, um, that offset, I was starting to have a year on my contract. But they, they went out and signed a few different halves. And, you know, you don't have to be on starting to work out, you know, if they're signing all these different halves, there's probably no place for you. And at the time, our assistant coach, Joey Grimer, um, come in and he said he got the job at London Broncos. And he said, just put me So I said, look, we need a halfback. Would you be interested in coming? And I just sort of, I thought it was a bit of a throwaway. I said, yeah, mate, give me a ring when you're over there. Like, and I've got a German passport, so I could always just get on the plane and come. There was no visa problem. Um, and he literally landed. He flew out and he rang me a couple of days later and said, look, we want you to come. So um, that year at the Dragons, yeah, as I said, I just wasn't ready to play first grade. And then, um, you know, getting used to that full-time guy, I just didn't play good footy. So... I understand why they went out and signed all the different halves. I'm a realist. I wasn't wasn't showing enough to keep me around um, to be that halfback. So, yeah, it's just the way it went. As you just mentioned, mate, you signed for, for London Broncos in 24 and for, with a swap deal with Michael Witt, I believe, which is an unusual. You don't really see much swap deals in rugby league at all. Obviously, just told us how, how it came about. But did you know much about Super League before coming over? Did you watch it all or was it kind of just sort of like, oh, I'll see when I get there? No, I didn't know a lot of it. I watched a little bit of it on TV, just when it, if it was on, because uh, I just love rugby league. So if it was on TV, I'd watch it. But it wasn't so much a swap deal with Woody. Woody came to the Dragons when I was still there. Um, so I think London went into where they sold all their players. All their players left pretty much, and Woody came back to Australia and we signed him. So I was training with Woody for a few weeks. Got on really well with him, um, and spoke to him before I went to London. So. Um, but yeah, in terms of knowing much about Super League, not really. I didn't know many of the English players or anything like that. So it was sort of a stab in the dark. The one thing that made it easier at the time was going to London. My cousin had just moved to London, who I grew up on the Central Coast with. So um, that sort of made it a little bit easier knowing that I did know someone um, who I was going to be living near. So, but it was just, yeah, it was just one of those things. I just thought, you know what, let's just do it. Always good to have a familiar place when you move to a new location, mate. And just in that first season with London Broncos, you got a first full season under your belt playing every week, regular footy at first grade. Um, but it was a real tough season for the Broncos that year, a real baptism by fire, you could say. I mean, what did, what are your thoughts on that season? And did it help you grow as a player at all? Uh, Joey Graham was pretty honest with me before when he told me that, you know, there was relegation and two teams were going to go down and, you know, we, they lost all their players. So we had a lot of young players, obviously, a lot of players coming from on loan. And so I knew that it was going to be a struggle. Um, but one thing I will say, it sort of reignited my love for the game again. Not so much my love, but playing each week and getting a chance to be the halfback of a first grade team and everything. Living in London, like how many people get to say they get to do what they love and live in a city like London so, and get paid, you know, and it wasn't great money, but, you know, more than what, you know, a normal person would get. So that was a um, one of the things that sort of helped me go go across there. Chance of living at the other side of the world, somewhere like London, and play rugby league for you know the London Broncos and Super League. So at the time, it was just too good of opportunity to turn down, and 
Um, you know, on the field, yeah, we, we weren't great. We won one game all year. So, but we knew that we were realistic about it all, that we weren't going to beat the Wigan and St. Helens. It was obviously sad to go down and, um, you know, it took London a few years to, you know, get recovered from that. But it was good to see um, a couple of years ago then. Was it, it was, might have been, oh, yeah, a couple of years ago when they went back up to Super League and done so well. So, I still speak to people from London now. Um, you know, I made some great friends there and, um, you know, some of the staff are still there and I still speak to, so it was a great time. Just to touch on living in London a little bit, mate, I mean, obviously, there's it, you won't have, no one will really know who you were down there. It's not like it is up north where, obviously, it's, it's, it's where, where we're from. It's the bread of butter. It's everything. Young sportsman, young, you've, you're playing professional rugby league in the capital. That must have been great, just having that experience there. It was, mate. I loved it. Honestly, it was... Um, and again, all the boys were so good, you know, and especially because I was only 20 at the time, I come across on my own. My partner stayed back in Australia for the first six, six to eight weeks. So I moved in with um, Benny Farrah and Nick Sliney. And um, it was just, I mean, I was pretty tight with Attila Vea as well at the Dragons and he'd come across at the same time to London Broncos. So I knew him. So that was good that way. But yeah, living in London as a 20-year-old playing rugby league, it's um, it was honestly great. Like you get a day off and you just get on the tube and you're in, you know, centre of London. There's so much things to do, so much to see. So, yeah, it's it's a great place to live. Superb stuff, mate. As you can as you can probably tell, I'm a, I'm a big Tigers fan. I'm wearing my my Balmain Tigers top and I've got the West Tigers ball behind me. After London, mate, you went over to to those boys at the Tigers. You know what what sparked that? Uh, at the time, so when I left London, I. I didn't have anything sorted, so I just literally got on plane, flew back home. I knew that I wanted to go back to Australia, but um, I was talking to a club. I won't name him, but I was talking to a club in the Super League, and at the time, I, I didn't really want to come back, go back there. So I sort of, to be honest, I dodged the coach's calls for a couple of days. I just didn't pick up my phone, just hoping something would come come up. And then one after them, my manager rang me and said, "Look, sons, we might have something at the Tigers. Jason Taylor wants to meet you tomorrow morning." Um, there might be some there. So I got lucky that way. I was, it was a great time. But obviously, I knew going down there, they sort of had, um, you know, Brooksy and Mitch Moses um, coming through. And they, they were their juniors. And um, their plan was for them to be the halves. So I was there as a backup, which was tough because, you know, they they weren't we weren't winning. The first grade team wasn't winning. I felt like I was playing good footy in reserve grade, but I just wasn't getting picked. So it was frustrating, but... At the same time, I understood why they done it. I mean, you look at the squad, mate, the season you were there, you know, James Tedesco, Marty Tapao, Curtis Surinin, Robbie Farrah, Aaron Woods, they had a really good squad. But what wasn't clicking for them? I think they finished 15th that year, just above the wooden spoon spot. What what wasn't working? Yeah, I, I don't know. It was um, it was obviously Jason Taylor's first year in the club and he was trying to, he was trying to change what the club had been previously and... It, it does take time for a new coach to come in and um, to change a style of play. Like you look at Catalans when Steve Mack come over, you know, his first year, they were, they were in the million pound game, you know, so they, you know, it took him. And then obviously now we saw last year, we won game from the grand final. So it does take a coach time um, to sort of implant his game plan and get the players that he wants. So, but yeah, you know, obviously James at this game, look, honestly, him at training, he's just a freak. He's, He's so good. And then obviously the likes of Robbie Farrell, Woodsy. So, again, you know, a new club. I didn't know any of the boys, really know any of the boys there, but all terrific blokes. Um, and obviously on the field, they weren't didn't have a successful season, but the people at the club and the players, yeah, they're all terrific. Tell us about Tedesco, mate, very briefly. We're filming this just after the NRL round one where he's just bagged the hat-trick already. Arguably one of the best players in the world. Was he that obvious at a younger age that it was going to be so expansive and so world class? I played with I played a New South Wales touch footy team with Teddy when we were twelve, and he was on the wing. And you wouldn't have thought that he'd become what he is now. Like he's just—I don't remember playing him in. I think he's your young man. So I don't remember playing him too much growing up after that. But once he came into first grade, like if you see him at training, he's just—you can't—you can't tackle him. Well, you see him. In, tackle his breaks and how skillful he is. Like, he's just so good. I remember the first pre-season I'd done, he was coming back from an injury. So he didn't do a lot of the pre-season. He was just sort of doing his own thing, getting his body right. And he came back for the last fitness test. He hadn't ran all pre-season. 
and he came out for the last fitness test and won it by a mile. Like just was, he's just so naturally gifted, natural freak. Um, but yeah, at training, like he's just one of those players. You just stand back and you just go, "Wow, like how good is this bloke?" When it comes to players like this, as you said, he's such a natural talent and a natural, natural freak of a, of, a, of a human being at rugby league. How much of it comes down to talent and how much of it comes down to hard work? You think of the other players that you had with you at the club. Is there such a, they're just naturally talented, that's how good, but how much of it is, is off the work stuff, doing their own things a little bit? Is it a 50-50 split or how would you describe it as? Uh, look, I'll, to be honest... Probably the most naturally gifted players sort of end up being, and the best players are normally the hardest workers as well. Um, there's probably, there's not, I don't really know anyone that I've come across in my career that don't, that don't, that are the best players and don't work hard. So I think it goes hand in hand. I think when, it's sort of like a mentality, really, that if you, you know, if you're up with one of, one of the best players, you sort of want to keep working harder to be the best. So um, yeah, Teddy was just, he, he was something else. But someone like, probably the biggest one that stands out is Robbie Farrell. Um, he was the New South Wales origin hooker at the time and he would and fit, always fit by up the front of all the fitness tests but he would flog himself after training do extras um, someone like that yeah I was still pretty young and I remember thinking well look, I can tell why he's one of the best hookers and one of the best players in the game because how hard he does train definitely it's probably why I didn't make it instead of doing extras I went to the pub instead of doing uh, some extra sprints um, on to the following season, uh, but back across the pond you came, mate, to the Lee Centurions. How did that come about? Yeah, it was um, my manager just rang me one day, and obviously, I wasn't going to look at the Tigers and playing reserve grade. I felt like I was playing good footy in reserve grade, and I just wasn't going to look in. So I rang him and I said, Oh, look, mate, I'm happy to go wherever. Like, I can't really. And he said, Look, would you go across to the Lee Centurions? And at the time, I didn't know too much about them because they were in championship, and he just said, Look, they're in the um, division below, but they're going for it. They want to get promoted. It was only it was only a six month contract, um, and then I just remember looking at the team on paper. Like there was some, you know, Phil Rufu Moi Moi was there, Rennie Matua, Willie Tonga. So I knew by looking at Gareth Hawke. So I remember looking at the players, going, "Look, they must be going for it." I don't know anything about the club um, or anything like that. Don't didn't know the coach, but. Um, it was a yeah, the chance to go across, and it was something different. Obviously, playing championship didn't know anything about that, but probably more so the chance for a championship club to get promoted. Obviously, I'd never been part of that, um, and it just at the time, it was, I was pretty stale playing reserve grade back home. So I just thought, yeah, why not? We'll go across and we'll give it a go. How did you find the comparisons? Obviously, you've played NRL now. You've played Super League, obviously like the Q, Q Cup, New South Wales Cup, and then coming over to, to the championship. How did you find coming into that division, that standard? What was the difference like between the, the other competitions that you played in? Uh, it's different. Different in a way that it's it's slower, but the championship is tough. Like the players are just tough people. And because it's, it's that little bit slower, they, they sort of have a chance to take your head off. And, and as the players don't mind doing that. And because we were a full-time team, Lee, and, um, you know, obviously they were spending some money, so it's some high-profile players. We had a target on our head. So, um, look, there's no doubt some games, like, you, you knew you are going to win, which makes it hard to get up for. But, um, you know, I remember playing against Bradford in the the summer batch, and that was a high-quality game. Like, that was my first real game of championship. And I remember thinking, like, that that was a high-quality game. So, there are teams in the championship that are, that are good. And, obviously, you get players that could play Super League, but they can make – just as much money or more money working and playing championships. So that's why they do it. So, yeah, it, it is a tough competition and totally different to Super League. Definitely. And one thing, obviously, as you mentioned, you helped them gain promotion that season, which must have been, firstly, how was it to, to get that feeling of you, that you're going into Super League? And coming from, obviously, Australia in, in Rugby League, obviously, there's no promotion over there. The NRL is obviously a franchise. Obviously, you have your 16 teams and there's never really any relegation or promotion. So how did you find that as a player coming up and, and having something to go for that you probably wasn't used to? No, I wasn't used to it. Obviously, I'd been relegated at London, but for a team to go for promotion, um, they, at the time, they, they were all in it, but they were, so if we don't get it this year, we're going for it again next year. And they, they just want promotion so bad. So I think when a team and the club's ambitious like that, obviously we had an owner that was willing to spend money. Um, so we made sure that he went out and bought players that, 
you know, with Super League, um, you know, Super League ready. So I remember going into the, the middle eight um, and I think we beat, the first Super League team we beat, I think might have been Salford. I remember beating a Super League team early in the middle eight and I thought, well, we might be a chance here, but I sort of thought we'd have to do it through the million pound game still. I thought, you know, maybe if we can finish fourth and play another Super League, a Super League team at home, at least Wardsville, it would be, you know, would be a fair chance. But then we beat Hull KR at Hull KR. And the week after, we were playing Huddersfield. And Huddersfield at the time had some good players in their team. And I remember we all sort of thought that we trying to work out the mathematics if we lost and this team won, would we still go up? Remember that coach who said, look, I watched the video. We'll beat Huddersfield this week and we'll be promoted. So just start believing. And then I remember the game. Like it was just the first half, everything just went our way. Like I remember everything worked. We were up. I don't know the exact score, but we're up by a lot at halftime, and it was pretty much game over at halftime. So that 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 day, uh, not so much for me because I'd only been there for you know six months. But the town, obviously the players, the coaching staff, the owner who invested so much to getting into Super League, you could tell how much it meant to them. And um, I remember going out in town that night, and it was uh, it was it was party central. It was a big night. But well, what's Derek Beaumont like, mate? I know he's got a bit of a reputation about him, but from, from stories we've heard, we spoke to Harrison Hansen recently, and he says he's a really good bloke. Yeah, look, obviously, more situation. I was one year into a three-year deal, and then once we got relegated, they tore my contract up, which I had every right to. Um, I didn't agree with it at the time, getting rid of most of our squad. But, look, fair play to Derek. I don't agree with some of the stuff that he's said and done to some of the players or anything like that. But one thing is he's very passionate about the club and he's put his hand in his pocket. He's spent money. Um, he's not afraid to say what he thinks. So, look, I, I've got nothing against Lee or Derek or anything like that. I'm happy that they're back in Super League now. Um, you know, I, again, I still speak to people at the club. Um, I've still got mates from around there. So it's um, taken a little bit of time to get back up. Um, but yeah, I'm happy for the town because it is a town that loves rugby league, and that pitch and that field is a super league field. So to go there and play super league, it's, it's, going, it's a good experience. They've certainly got the facilities, mate. When you compare them to the likes of Man and Jed's team in uh, Wakefield, mate. So it, for anybody listening who's in Australia or America, we do have listeners from there. It's a, it's a good facility, isn't it? And a really good good base there, isn't it, mate, for a super league side? Great facility. That stadium, I think Manchester United play their reserve grade out of it. So that tells you how, obviously, they're not going to make their players play out of a bad stadium. But, the, yeah, the, the stadium there and the crowd, it's so loud to play. Um, they're a good crowd to play in front of. And it's just the town. They're just good people. Um, and, you know, no one really has heard of Lee. Like, I didn't hear – I'd never heard of Lee before I went. I remember telling my mates and the boys that I can go on to Lee, and they all said Leeds. I said, no, no, Lee. And they all said – Who's that? And I, I just said, yeah, I don't really know, to be honest. But once you get there and um, I lived in the town, honestly, it was, so, as I said, so many good people, great facilities, great club. Um, it was just a shame that the season that year ended the way it did because still to this day, I still don't know how we got relegated because we had such a good team on paper. And even the teams we beat that year, you know, we beat Wigan, we beat Saints, we beat Warrington, we beat the top teams, we just... We just couldn't put it together consistently and obviously, yeah, we lost that million-pound game. Yeah, well, what's your thoughts on the million-pound game in the middle-eights concept? Obviously, it didn't last too long. I think about three or four years. But, I mean, like you say, for an Australian bloke who's come over from a franchise, 16 teams to... I mean, even for us, the million-pound game was was mind-blowing. Yeah. Well, the year before, when, when I was at Lee and we got promoted before the Million Pound game, I remember watching it from Australia and I thought, how good is this? But then when you're involved in it, the thing, the thing that makes it hard is, um, and I understand that relegation promotion is an English thing and I think that's the way it's do it, but the fact that a, someone's contract can get, just get torn up from one game, um, yeah, and, and everyone has those days where things just click and some days things just go wrong for you and you can't control them. You think that, you know, for me, I was one year into the so many of us, one year into a two or three year deal, and you make plans based on that those, that contract, and it, it just gets torn up on the spot pretty much. So it makes it hard that way, I think. I don't know if there's a better way to do it, um, but it's part of the sport, part of rugby league, and I think, 
you've just got to accept it. And, um, you know, it's, it's sometimes things don't go your way. And I found out the hard way, you know, it sort of turned my life upside down. Um, you know, as I said, I was one year into a three-year deal. I just bought a house back in Australia on that contract, thinking I was going to be making that money. So and I literally went back and was digging holes with my, one of my good mates I grew up with. He had a landscaping business. So I've gone from making, you know, really good money to the bottom of the pole in a way. And um, it was stressful in terms of, you know, was I going to sell my house? But I was pretty lucky that I you know, got a good mum and dad and family and um, they you know, helped support me and, um just turned out that way. But yeah, it's the promotion relegation. I understand it, but I just think there's got to be more protection for the player. I think that I think I definitely agree with you there. And you see in sort of football, they have obviously the parachute payments for when a club gets relegated. And I don't know how it works in terms of rugby league, but obviously a lot of people have said more needs to be done to protect the players and obviously the welfare of the players. And it must have been especially frustrating that obviously Lee didn't even finish bottom of Super League, Widness finished bottom and then didn't even eventually end up going down. Like you said, you went back to Australia. Apparently, you agreed to sign with the Western Suburbs Magpies um, before Catalan came calling. How did that unravel? And how did you decide, obviously, to come back to back over, well, back to France before, for the first time to France instead of staying over in Australia? What 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 pushed you that direction? Yeah, so uh, one of my mates, Jack Buchanan, rang me and said, "Look, Brett Hodgson's coach. He was he was a coach at Witness. He's got the Western Suburbs job and." I met with Penrith reserve grade. I was going to go to a Queensland Cup team and move up there and play, but because I'd already been at the Tigers um, and the recruitment officer who signed me at Manly when I was 17, he'd just become a recruitment officer at the Tigers. So he called me. I went and caught up with him. And um, But, yeah, I remember speaking to Hodjo, who I'd never met, but I spoke to him on the phone and he just – he didn't have to sell it to me as such, but I just knew that if I was going to get back to first grade, that speaking to him on the phone, that – he was committed to helping me get back into a first grade system, whether it be in NRL or Super League. And just having a chat, he said he obviously seen me play for a few years over in the Super League and he thought he could help me. And, um, you know, it was tough, you know, going back to a part-time environment. You know, I was, as I said, I was working all day digging holes and driving down to Concord, which was now 45 in the car after work, train, and I'd get home at 9.30, 10 o'clock and up at 4.30 the next morning do it all again. But... In terms of the magpies, like I probably owe Hodjo a lot in terms of not, I don't know if I'd say saving my career, but helping me get it back on track. You know, you go into a part time environment where, you know, all the boys have worked all day and then to go train in the uh, five o'clock in the afternoon, it can be hard, but it just made it so enjoyable. And all the boys there as well, it was such a good bunch of boys that it didn't really matter if you were training still at eight o'clock and you had an hour and a half drive home because you're enjoying it so much. So, and he helped my game so much. He's such a great coach, old Joe, and great bloke, very honest. So, you know, we've got on great off the field. But if I if he wasn't happy with something, he'd tell me straight how it is. And that, that's what I respect. You know, if someone tells you, if they're honest with you, there's no problem. So um, I'm stoked for him that he got the whole FC job. I know he'll do a terrific job there because, yeah, he's probably one of the best coaches I've had, to be honest. Fair enough. Um, and obviously, it's always appreciated when you've got someone that'll tell you flaws as well as obviously what you do, man. It'll help you grow as a player. Obviously, then Catalans came calling. They must have been impressed in the million pound game, mate, for them obviously to come calling. And how did that? How did that come about? Yeah, well, yeah, I was playing reserve guard, and to be honest, I was playing the best footy in my career. So um, I remember just playing each week, and I'd be on the phone to my agent, and then I I don't know exactly how it happened, but my men just sort of rang and said, "Look, there might be a chance at Catalans." Luke Walsh at the time was a half back here, but he just hurt his ankle. I'm pretty sure pretty bad and they didn't know if he'd have to retire. And so they'll just wait and see what would happen with him. And then I went and spoke to the Tigers. I remember I met with Hodjo and I told him, I said, look, mate, I'm probably going to leave, head back to the Super League. And the Tigers come in and they said, look, we've been happy with you. We'll promote you to the NRL squad. We don't want you to go. Come into the full-time squad, chance of playing NRL. And then I was umming and ahhing because, because with Catalan's I think they'll come in last or second last in the ladder at the time. And I'd just been relegated. I thought, if I go to a team again and it gets and we get relegated, that's it. Look, a line's going to be drawn through my name. I can't be relegated three times. But I just remember looking at the team on paper, seeing the likes of Sam Moa, Greg Bird. But there's so many good players in the Catalans team. And I just thought, if I go there, I just thought somehow that I could make a difference. And I remember watching them play and playing against and the style that they played. I just knew that it would suit my game. 
Um, so, and then I spoke to Steve on the phone and um, he just reassured me about everything, what he was doing. And yeah, he just said, look, your style is going to suit our team and our team is going to suit you. So it was pretty much a match made in heaven. So um, I literally signed the deal on the Tuesday and then I flew out the Wednesday. So it happened so quick, but uh, that's the advantage of having a German passport. I can just get on a plane and come. Don't have to wait for a visa. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they did improve that season. They ended up finishing eighth, so there wasn't in the middle eights. But, I mean, that 28 season is only going to be remembered by Catalans fans for one thing and one thing only. And obviously, um, we'll touch on it now. That Challenge Cup victory, 2014 against Warrington. Obviously, there's no cup competition in, in NRL. So, again, it's a different comparison. But just tell me what you remember about the build-up to that day and, and how you must have felt going into it. Yeah, I remember we played. I remember playing Huddersfield in the quarterfinal. Uh, if people watched it, it would have been the worst game rugby league to watch. It was pouring down rain. We won. It was just a crap game, but we won. We ended up, you know, it was one of those games that you just had to dig in and win. And then we drew. We drew Saints in the semi-final. Yeah, and I remember we're all at home doing our own thing, but we watched the um, the draw, and remember, I remember when they drew Saints, drew Catalans out, they all cheered. And I remember thinking to myself, just now, I thought, well, wow, I wonder if all the boys heard that. Straight on the WhatsApp group, um, you know, everyone started talking about it. We went training the next day and the semi-final was still weeks away, but I remember Mac just saying, look, have a look at these boys. This is what they think of you. And from that day on, it was just sort of all about, we are getting ready for Saints and the Challenge Cup and, to go to um, Bolton and play the semi-final again, it was just a semi-final that the first half, everything was clicked for us. And I think the advantage for us was we, we were safe. We knew that we weren't going to make the semi-finals of the Super League, but we weren't going to be in the middle eights. So we could just put all our energy into the, um, into the Challenge Cup. So, you know, the two weeks leading into it, we could rest half the team one week. The second week, the other half got rested and we could just focus on that. Um, and yeah, we just come out all guns firing. And as I said, we just, that was just one of those days where everything worked for us. And um, after we won that, I just sort of knew that we just had so much momentum going into that final. We were just so, so confident as a team. Everything was clicking. Um, we were pretty much injury free at the time. So, but that Wembley game, that was just, yeah, that was an unbelievable experience. Obviously, being Australian, I didn't realise I didn't realise how big the Challenge Cup was until I'd come to England, and then um, getting the, after the semi-final, I realised, and even the, the French people like you don't realise how big rugby league is in France. You think you know soccer, football is is the main sport, but this area they're just so passionate about it. I remember you know when we left the stadium, there was fans there cheering us, and um, again, it was just one of those things. In a weird way, we we just knew that. We we're going to win. Like it, it sounds arrogant, probably people will listen to this saying you're cocky, but we just had this feeling in the team. It was just, we're going to go out and we're going to beat Warrington. So, um, yeah, that playing at Wembley, you know, Challenge Cup Grand Final, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's by far the highlight of my career. And oh, I want to get back there and do it again. Tell us about Wembley, the Wembley experience, mate, waking up in the morning, you know, in the change rooms and abide with me, he's being sung. Like, like you said, mate, you, want, you didn't have too much experience of it, but just the whole atmosphere, especially in the new Wembley as well, where 90,000 fans can be there, it must be something special. Yeah, unbelievable. We went, we trained there the day before, and I remember just walking out on the field, and I just went, wow, look at this, like, the stadium is so big, and the noise just when you were training, I just thought, I can't imagine this tomorrow when there's so many fans here. Um, but, yeah, the facilities, the I don't normally struggle to sleep before a game, but that night I, I couldn't sleep before the game, I, honestly. But I was rooming with my mate, Braden Willie Army. And so I kept him up all night as well. So I remember being on the bus on the way to the game and I looked at him and he started yawning. And I thought, and he looked at me as if to say, you've kept me up all night. And I remember thinking, yeah, shit, I probably shouldn't have kept him up. But I, we're, just, we're just in such a good mood. The team was just, a, yeah, we're just on the bus on the way there. Everyone was nervous but confident. Um, and then once you get in the sheds, you know, and you hear the roars and you hear the all the crowd, and it's just a, it's it's hard to explain how good an experience it is. What do you remember about the game, Matt? Yeah, again, we started off really well. I remember, um, 
think it might have been Lewis Tang scored probably in the first or second minute. So that just calmed out, calmed out if we did have the nerves. And for me, I remember he scored in the corner and then I kicked it from the sideline. And I wasn't kicking goals real well that, at that stage of the year, but to put it over from the sideline the first kick, it just sort of just calmed me right down. And um, Warrington were obviously such a good team that year as well and still are, but I just... Yeah, I just I don't remember a whole lot. It's a bit of a blur, a little bit the game looking back because obviously it was such a big occasion. But um, I remember when that hooter went, like it was just relief. And I remember the crowd, there was all the French people on one side of the stadium and we the game finished on that side. So we all stayed over there and um, it was so loud. And obviously the plane trip back, having to fly back to France, the plane trip on the way home was just so much fun. Um, then we got back to France and we partied for a few days and we had a parade in the city and it was just, it was like we were rock stars. It was, um, yeah, it was great. I remember watching that game because I was actually in Australia at the time and I had it on my laptop on my bunk bed in an awful hostel, just cheering on Catalan because I feel like that game, Catalan were everyone's team. Every neutral wanted Catalan to win. And I was going to ask you about your what the heroes welcome were like, but you just told me it were like a rock star, so you pretty much answered answered that question for me. I'm, I'm very jealous of them. I wish I could have experienced something like that. But then going on after that, you actually ended up leaving Catalan and signing for KR, obviously, after the highs of that season. How, how did that come about? Uh, yeah, look, it was before I came, before I signed with the club, Matty Smith had already sort of agreed to a deal here for the year after. So, um, look, I was talking Catalans during the year, but Again, it's a salary cap sport. At the time, obviously, I didn't want to leave. Like, I love it here. Obviously, I was playing the best footy I'd played in my career. We just won the Challenge Cup. But it, it it's a business at the end of the day. And um, the way it went down, you know, it wasn't probably wasn't handed great from both sides, you know, my side and the club side. But um, I remember that, you know, once they told me that there was no spot, you know, me and Steve had a bit of a chat. And, you know, I was, I was pretty annoyed. So, but they were great. You know, they understood that I was angry. And they remember the last game, um, you know, I cleaned out my locker and I was leaving. And I saw Steve in the car park as I was driving out. I just said, look, mate, I just want to thank you for the year. Like, I've loved it here. Wish you all the success going forward and everything like that. So, I left on good terms with everyone. Obviously, it was such a good year. I didn't want to leave on bad terms or anything like that. And we'd just, you know, done something so special. So, and then I got home and... Um, I was close to signing with an NRL team and that was sort of the plan was to go back and play the NRL. That's what I wanted to do. But um, it's just one of those things that just fell through late. And so I was just sort of stuck. And then um, Shanzi rang me and he was a whole KR and he said, look, we need a halfback. He said, and we want you. And then um, they obviously weren't going great, but obviously being Australian and Tim Shanes as a coach, you just knew that his pedigree and how much he succeeded. So that was a big factor. I wanted to play play under Sheenzy. And then I knew Adam Quinlan from my time at the Dragons. So I remember I spoke to him. I just asked him about the boys in the club. And he just said, there's this surprise. He just said, they're all good blokes at the club. He said, they're all good people. And again, so I just turned up. The only person I knew at the club was Quinny at the time. But, um, yeah, it was more, you know, playing under Sheenzy. And, um, and they we. You know, the year before they didn't go great, but they signed some good players. So I thought that would have a more successful season than we did. But that was one of those years where just nothing went our way. On your debut, mate, um, at home um, in the Humber Derby, round one of Super League, um, Rovers won the game 18-16. You actually got man of the match as well. I mean, in terms of debuts, it doesn't really get much better than that, does it? Yeah, it was um, the. The weird thing was I didn't realise how big the whole derby was. Obviously, I'd watched it on TV, but I'd never really been to Hull. Like, you'd obviously play down there and stay the night, but I'd just sort of stay in the hotel. But I didn't realise how big rugby league was down there and how passionate the fans are. Like, I, I remember walking the streets, and if a Hull FC fan would see you, they'd let you know what they thought of you. And all in a good way. And, um, yeah, I just I just remember thinking, wow, well, like, this city loves rugby league. Um but yeah, the derby like that, probably one of the best at one again, best club game atmospheres I've played in. Like they sell that place out. Um, 
And yeah, the score on the bell to win the match, it was, um, I remember that was the first game I played, it was snowing. I remember turning up and they come in just before warm up. They said, boys, we're playing with an orange ball tonight because it's snowing. So it's a new footy. I remember it was so cold. And down in Hull, it gets cold. If that when that wind comes in off the water, oh, it's it's freezing. So I remember how cold the game was. But um, yeah, to win the first game in a derby against Hull FC on the bell was a good way to start the season. Didn't finish very well the season there. No, no, but definitely a good way to start. And I know a few um, Aussies who have come over, they've described the intensity as being very similar to like Origin. Obviously, it's not that type of scale, but in terms of how much it means to the supporters around that. It means everything to them. But, I mean, it was a good season for you in terms of getting games under belt. 32 appearances, seven tries. But it wasn't an ideal scenario, really, for OKR. I finished 11th. But when you look at that season, it's it's it sort of is obviously a bad season, finish 11th. But if you look, London Broncos got relegated on 20 points, which is one of the highest points total a team's ever been relegated on. I mean, win 10 games and you get relegated, that's really unheard of and you are... Mm-hmm. Yourself, boys, on 20 points. Obviously, Wakey, we were on 22. Leeds were on 24. Huddersfield were on 26. So, it's, it is a poor season, but it's not a poor season. How did you find it in camp, your team, being involved in a relegation battle when you wasn't playing rugby that deserved to be in a relegation battle? No one deserved to be in a relegation battle that year. How did you find it? Strange. I remember, I think that might have been the first year where they got rid of the middle eights as well. That was this automatic relegation promotion. And... Everyone thought London coming up would go straight down and they just shocked so many teams. And, um, yeah, like they ended up getting relegated, but they didn't deserve to. But I remember going into the last game when we were playing Salford away and Wakey in London. And depending how results went, if we lost, we could have went down. So, for me, I'd already signed with Catalina, so I knew that I was leaving. So, it was a little bit different pressure for me. Um, but... The thing that struck that I thought of was I knew how bad it was to be relegated and I didn't want my, who were my close mates at the time to go through what I went through. So it wasn't as if I didn't care. Like I knew lives just turn, get turned upside down if you get relegated. And you know, some boys, a lot of people had families there on long-term contracts. So for me, that was the driving factor for me was, you know, for me, I was already sorted for the next year, so I was safe, but I didn't want the people that I cared about um, to go down. So it wasn't a great year. Oh, things happened at the club that weren't great, but thankfully they stayed up, more so for my mates at the time. I was, I was disappointed London went down there. I thought, I think Super League needs London um, in it. I just think they had something different and being down there and see how, how far they came to sort of throw it all away. I just thought it was a step, it was a step backwards. I completely agree. Um, I want. I, I'm really a big fan of London. I think Super League needs a London-based team in the competition. But unfortunately, the last game of the season was Wakey versus London, and I'm always going to pick my own team. If we lost to London, stayed up, we'd have been relegated. So it was just an unfortunate position. But I would have very much agree with you. Like to see London stay up. As you mentioned, you'd obviously sign for Catalan the next season. Um, but how did, I mean, you said that you left things on good terms. How did that come back about? Did, did they say, we want you back? Obviously, how come they decided to bring you back after letting you go not a year previous? That, so during that year when I was at um, Hold KR, pretty, no, not sort of the middle of the start of the year, um, another Super League club came in to try and buy me off Hold KR. I didn't even know about it, to be honest. I didn't know. I got a call from Ranger one day before we played a Challenge Cup game. And he said, just so you know, whole KR might sell you, uh, this team. Might, I won't say the team because I don't want to um, you know, disrespect, but I remember thinking, what do you mean that you, like, they want to sell me? I haven't asked for a release or anything like that. And so because it was a Challenge Cup game that night, I remember ringing Tim Sheens. I said, Sheensy. And he said, I know why you're ringing me. I'm going to speak to you tomorrow about it, um, blah, blah, blah. And I said, look, I'm not playing tonight. If you're going to sell me, this is a Challenge Cup game. I don't want to be cup-tied. So I need an answer. And he said, all right. He goes, I'll give you an answer by the time you get here. So I remember I didn't know if I was going to play that night. And I think rumour got out that I might be going to another club. I'm not sure. But I remember um, the trainer at the Catalans gave me a ring and he just said, what's going on? And I told him, and he said, look, we've got to sort a few things out back here. Would you come back there next year? And I said, oh, look, mate, of course. I'd never want to leave. Um, I'd happily come back. So he said, look, don't sign anywhere without telling us. Um, but to let you know that we've got a few things to do with the salary cap and quota spots, but 
we want you back. So that's how that came about. I ended up staying at Hull KR, which worked out well, but um, yeah, it was a strange season. And then I definitely didn't think I'd be going back to Catalina's year after, but I was, I was pretty happy when I got that phone call that, yeah, I was going to end up coming back here. Yeah, you certainly had been totting up your air miles, mate. So uh, back to Catalan. Tell, tell us about this COVID season, mate. Obviously, 2020 was a weird year for everybody on the globe, never mind sportsmen. But how did you deal with playing in front of no crowd or, or anything like that? It must have been a world turned upside down. Yeah, it was strange, mate. When, when it first came out, everyone sort of thought it was a bit of a joke and we're talking about a train. And it just happened so quick, like, you know, from the couple of cases you heard, next thing you know, we stood down. And remember, we had a um, Zoom meeting and Steve just said, look, we're closing down for two weeks. You know, no one's to go home, blah, blah, blah. Four months later, we're still in lockdown. So it was tough. Um, and then obviously coming back and start playing. And the way the season was with so many games in, you know, a lot of a short space of time, playing in front of no fans, that was probably the hardest bit. Um, you know, we spoke off air, but just you just lose all that adrenaline, you know, that you don't dot the crowd and playing in front of people. It just it just gives you that adrenaline, that kick, and to run out into an empty stadium where you know there's game you can hear the commentators speak. Like that's this it's a weird feeling. It was a weird season. Um, you know, all the protocols you have to go through. For us, we'd always fly to England the day before stay the night, play, and then fly home the next day where we had to start flying in and out each day, get to the stadium four hours, four hours before a game. Like, it was just tough and strange. So you can imagine turning up to a stadium you know, four hours before kickoff. You're sitting in like a one of the reception rooms or something, and it's just – it sort of feels like you're getting ready to play, but you don't play for four hours. Like, it's just hard mentally. And to get on a plane straight after a game and fly back to France or – it was just tough, but you know, we're lucky that the sport survived and um, you know that we got to start playing again. So obviously we're going to start the season off like that again, but fingers crossed um, the crowds get back in soon because as a player, yeah, you really miss them and um, appreciate how much they bring to the sport, especially even being booed. Like, I miss being booed more than I like being cheered. Like, I just love when they yell out the abuse and especially for us when we play away, we don't have any fans over there, so... You get the full stadium doing yeah, and everyone again. So that's the stuff I miss. <laughs> I mean, you, you would say all this, but you necessarily didn't have a bad 2020. You got one game away from the grand final, mate. Is is it a similar aim for the 2021 season? You're pushing for that top four spot in a Challenge Cup? Yeah, definitely. I think from where the club's got to, you know, we want to be up the top. And you have a look at the players that we have in our team. Like, they've all won a lot of things. Sam Tompkins, all the Wigan boys, Mullaney. And a lot of even us now that we won the Challenge Cup, it just, once you get a taste of it, you want more. So, um, you know, it was probably, it was a bad way to finish last year. Like Saints flogged us in the semi final. So it, it, you sort of look back and probably it feels like a bit of a, um, a failure in a way. But, you know, we're one game from the grand final. We come up against a very good Saints team. So, um, and for us, you know, all the travel that we had to do and flying in and out on game day and things like that, you know, COVID went through the teams, team a few times. So players got, I missed the game through COVID and, you know, to, to come back from COVID stuff. So it was hard. It was hard. Um, but yeah, we've obviously lost a few players um, for this season, but, you know, we've got a lot of young French boys that have been training with the, with the team, first team for a few years now, and they're ready to step up and take their chance. And um, we definitely want to be involved in the finals again. There's no doubt about that. We don't, we don't want to be here to make up the numbers. Superb stuff, Josh. I mean, we've covered your entire career. You've played for so many clubs in so many different countries as well. Just just a little bit about you, mate. We've got about two or three minutes left. What, what do you enjoy doing in your spare time? For me, mate, because I grew up on the Central Coast, which is on the beach, so I sort of just enjoy being down the beach, um, which is great for me. This, you know, where I live at the moment, I live you know, on the water, an apartment on the water. Um, but yeah, just yeah, living, sort of going to the beach, being out in the sun, cafes, things like that. So I love I love sport. I watch a lot of sport. I love American sport. Um, you know, NBA and NFL. I watch a lot of that. Follow all of that. But um, yeah, just. Just pretty much just a normal bloke, to be honest. I, you know, I love, I love rugby league, and then once I'm away from it, I just like to do what a normal, you know, 20, bloke in his 20s does. 
myself and Jed travelled Australia for a, about a year, a couple of years ago, and we were surprised how big N- NBA is out there. It's, it's arguably one of the biggest sports out there, out, even with the NRL and AFL and whatnot as well. What what is it about NBA that's that's so attractive? Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's just over here. It's on in the middle of the night, so you don't really get a chance to watch it. We're over in Australia. It's on during the day, so you get to watch it. Um, and you got obviously there's a few Australian players now playing in the NBA, but I just think that whole American culture it sort of came into Australia a little bit. Um, no, but yeah, NBA, NFL, that they are quite big in Australia, and you know a lot of people, a lot of athletes, um, especially rugby league players in their off season, jet across to America to watch them. You know, watch those two. So yeah, I just I don't know what it is or why, but yeah, I, I love them two sports. Superb stuff, mate. Just to round off, mate, we ask this to every guest we have on. Who's the best player you've played with and the best player you've played against? Best player I've played with would have to be Tedesco. James Tedesco up there. Sam Tompkins. Um, he'd be another mention. Like, Sam Tompkins is a good player. You don't realise how good he is until you play with him. Um, and played against... Um, Played against Greg Inglis in one of my in the Charity Shield my first year, and he probably he big boy. He's going to cause some problems this year in Super League. Superb stuff, Josh. Fact, I mean, best of luck in the season. Hopefully, you don't do Wakefield over too much as you did last year, mate. And I need you and Maloney to calm down a bit when you go down to Bellevue as well and not score as much points as you did last year. But thank you very much for coming on Three Blocks on the Rugby League podcast, and uh, we'll catch you down the road, mate. Take care. No worries, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers.